Let me jump into our text this morning. So it's Matthew 10, 24 to 42, and I'm reading from the NLT. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the member of my household will be called even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the rooftops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those that want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without you, without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your sons or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I just love these happy scriptures. <laughs> Crazy. So I just want to throw that into context. The beginning of Matthew 10 begins with a list. We like lists. Some people like lists. I like lists. I make them and then I leave them at home when I go to the grocery store. But the, the, <laughs> the list at the beginning of Matthew is 12 names. Right? It's the disciples. It's how they're known. Their names. Here, we love to call people by names. Don't you love to be, your name to be known? It's a good thing. Well, depends who's calling it, right? <laughs> right? But we also love lists when our names show up on the list, as long as they're the good list. Like if you made the ball team, right? If you're on the select team. If you're in the invite, we love that. But names are how we're called. They're sort of important to us. And they say something about us. They're kind of part of our identity. And the author of Matthew begins this whole section of teaching with this identity piece, the disciples' names. And then Jesus goes to tearing apart identity, right into it. And, and he ends this whole passage by saying this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. To me, what he's saying there, you got to lose your identity to find it. It's not, it's not just talking about the breath in us, but it's about identity. So after calling them by name, Jesus sends them out. So again, this is before we're our passage today. This is the first part of the chapter that Mark was talking on last week. First thing he does, you're going to go out without money, without clothing, without food. Strips away possessions and status. He tells them not to worry about what they're going to say, 
but to rely on the Spirit. Often our identity is in our speech, the things we say, how, how we're known. By the, you know, that, that's true for us. And Jesus is stripping away that. A few years ago, you guys know who Quiet is, right? Most of you know Quiet Nevin. Sorry, Quiet. You're not here, so it's okay. I can still tell the story. A few years ago, Quiet and I spent about six hours in a merge with a friend who was really struggling. And uh, one thing they kept saying the whole night was, who am I really? Who am I really? Now, they were in psychosis, and they thought they were God, so they were looking for us to call them God, and we never went there. But that question of who am I really just has stuck with me. Who am I really? It seems to me that we ask, or we should ask that question all the time. Who am I really? It feels like most of my life, and maybe most of your life, we've been building up this, this thing, this identity, and then we have to turn around and destroy that whole identity. Or it's destroyed for us, right? You could call it the cycle of life, death, and resurrection. It's, you know, we find it in the Paschal Mystery in the cross. This year, I'm in my 50th rotation around the sun. And I'm realizing that my identity as a high-level athlete is just not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> I spent years, decades working on that, and it's no longer truthful to myself, let alone for anybody else. But I, I'm beginning to wonder if losing that identity is helpful in my walk with God, right? I'm drawn closer because I have to ask, who am I really? Identity is, is actually pretty important to us, I would say. We, we spend up years just developing these things, and, and all the while we know we really aren't that thing that we've been building up. So Jesus is stripping away this false identity so that we can be seen as we really are. We can answer the questions of who am I really? Sometimes that answer is God's creation and, and the object of God's incredible love, which we'll get to a little bit. But, but our sacrament of baptism is actually, is, is this whole picture of losing your identity and, and finding new, of letting go of false identities and being born into something that says, who am I really, right? You know, the truth is that baptism, the actual act, is a symbol, right? Like, there's nothing magical in it. The magic is that it becomes a symbol for the rest of our lives of, of what we've chosen to follow, and again and again, we can look back and say, I died to that, and I'm risen to this. By the way, if anybody wants to be baptism, be baptized, we'd love to baptize people. So, yeah, come and, come and uh, talk to us. So, now we jump into where we've hit today, uh, verse 24. And Jesus begins the passage today with education. Students aren't greater than their masters. We've got a number of students here today, right? Yeah. A lot of students in the building. And for many of us, education has become an identifying factor. Right? In fact, it's often included beside our names. Right? Right? Either before, reverend for some, or after, I don't know, what are some of the, the names? M MDiv. Right? That's one I can think of. Right? Interesting that we include these, these ideas of of education in our very identity, the thing we're called. A few, a few years ago, we were driving past this old country church, uh, and on the sign, 
was this pastor's name, Reverend so-and-so, and then there was way more letters beyond their name than their actual name. And Leanne is, you know, you might not see this, but she's quite... She's quite funny. She said, Kevin, you should do that at Royal City. You could put Kevin Coghill, G-E-D. Which is... <laughs> yeah. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Good. Good. Tired? Yeah. Have a seat. Good to see you. So those letters are accomplishments, and I'm not trying to take away from that. Right? Those letters past our name... It's a good thing to have those accomplishments. But I don't think they answer that question of who am I really? Right? So Jesus' statement that the student isn't greater than the master reminds us that we have, it doesn't just remind us that we have someone to follow. That is, that person that we follow is far beyond who we are. But it also reminds us that we can't escape the struggles that our teacher went through. Jesus goes through things. We're going to go through things. And if Jesus is called the prince of demons, what names will people call his students? We're living that all the time here. We're called a lot of things by people that don't like us feeding people. Right? Jesus was called a drunk and a glutton. It seems that in following Jesus, others may mistake our identity. Or maybe it's not a mistake. They'll label us as the people we interact with. But the thing is, for us to be mislabeled, we have to be in contact with those that we're mislabeled as. To me, this has been one of the biggest struggles in the church right now. Um, And maybe it's always been, right? We worry about being misidentified or identified with a certain group of people so we keep them out. And instead of being identified with those that Jesus wants us to spend time with, we become known for hating groups of people or for excluding them or at least distancing ourselves from them. But Jesus says, if I am called the prince of demons, why should you expect to be identified as angels? So Jesus calls us now to let go of our credentials and our reputation. And then immediately he goes into this statement. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed. And I'll skip a little bit ahead. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a flock of sparrows. Three times. Don't be afraid. Right? That's not only encouragement that when we're judged for giving up possessions and privilege and for the people we hang out with, it is also a call to give up more often what becomes part of our identity, what we fear. Does, that, does anybody feel like that? Like fear is part of your identity? I think it does become like that for us. And so Jesus repeats it three times, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. What would it take for us to give up the fears that define us? One of, one of my fears is this, that if people really knew me, they wouldn't actually like me. So I go over the top to make people like me. What a terrible identity, right? That stops me from being who I was made to be. Maybe it's a jerk inside. I don't know if that's what it really means. But, but instead of being who I am, I become my fear. I try to please people. 
And that must have been something that Jesus knew that we deal with, right? That we struggle with because he keeps repeating it. He reminds us that it will be part of our identity of fear and that it will be difficult to part with that fear because it's become part of who we are. So then he reminds us of his care of the vulnerable sparrow, right? Vulnerable. What a terrible and beautiful word, eh? This is what the stripping away of our false identity reveals, right? It makes us, it makes us vulnerable. We are on view to be seen. So when possessions and reputation, when names and credentials are gone, we're vulnerable. But the one who asks us to be vulnerable knows us. He knows us well enough that he knows the amount of the hair on our heads. For Gavin, that's much easier than for me. (laughs) Sorry, Gavin. Do not be afraid. Be who I made you to be. It's a little comical here that Jesus says, do not be afraid three times, because he goes into this crazy violent imagery immediately after. He says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Here's my sword. Interesting, right? But the last part of our identity that Jesus asks us to give up may be the hardest one, right? And so he uses violent imagery because it's so hard, and that is family. Culturally, that would have been, you know, hard to hear for his listeners. And it's hard to hear for us that family is not our defining feature. In fact, we built whole Christian uh, systems on it, right? Focus on the family. You know, even in, even in the original list of these disciples at the beginning, two of the disciples are called by sons of Zebedee. Called by their family. Their name. And for, and for those of us who have had terrible home lives, this might seem like a blessing, right? That you can give up your identity with family. And for those of us who have had really positive family lives, this might seem like a curse, right? The love, but the love you've been given by your parents isn't your identity. It might help shape it. But the rejection of family or because, here's the thing, so when, you, when you're hurt by your family, sometimes that becomes your identity. And sometimes when you're loved by a family, that becomes, I know that's, that seems weird that that's bad. But when the hurts that we've encountered become our identity, that's a problem. I wonder if that's why Jesus is so strong here, right? Psychologists tell us that we are for, that we are formed by the gaze of our parents. You know what I mean? By the gaze, by the, they call it the constituting other. When your parents look at you and you look at them, that forms us. And that we help find ourselves through others' eyes. And that's true. So if the gaze of our parents is distant or unresponsive, we develop a certain way. And if, and if our gaze of our parents is attentive, we develop another way. That becomes so ingrained us, ingrained in us that our first images of God are actually our parents. It's no wonder that Jesus prays our Father in heaven, right? He uses that imagery. 
But Jesus asks us not to use our parents' gaze, but his gaze as our identity, right? Remember, he just said, the hairs on your head are numbered. He's already gazing at us, right? And even the best parent can't claim that, to know the number of hairs on their kid's head. If someone wants to try this week, they can bring me back that number next week. That would be, that would be a good homework, right? Hey, Dan. And, and as I was, like, thinking through this this week, it seems like Jesus is teaching this really individualistic message. But, but he's actually speaking to a group of people. He's not speaking to individuals. He just called a group of 12, and now he's talking to them, right? And in some ways, I, I began to think this, that my identity is your identity, and your identity is my identity. And, and even though it's not necessarily we don't like that, it seems to be true at some level, right? All of us here this morning are clumped into the larger picture of Christendom, of the church, right? That might seem unfair. It seems unfair to me. I don't want to be clumped in necessarily with Southern evangelical thought process. I don't. But we are. And in some ways, it's good, right? Like when, when people have a positive thought process about that, like here in Guelph, 90% of all social services were started by churches. It's a positive thing that church has done. But in other cases, when it's negative, like church people are bigots and hate gay people, we don't want to be associated with that. Most often, being identified with the church in general makes me angry and sad. But it reminds us that the church is made of people, and people do amazing things. And they do stupid things. I usually do the latter. But I will, I will always point back to this because it's my favorite thing. We, we have to remember that we're all both breath and dirt, all of us. Right wing, left wing, centrist, we're breath, we're dirt, and that allows me to have grace for those that I disagree with in the church and in the world. Luke 17, 21 is the story about the Pharisees and Jesus. It says, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to see here it is or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is made real between us. Right? It's not, not in me. Well, maybe a piece is in me and there's a piece in you. I don't, I don't really know how that works. But it grows when we're in contact right, when we're in contact with each other. But I find it super beautiful and confusing that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees when he tells them it's there. He's talking to the people that are trying to kill him and that do eventually kill him. And he says, the kingdom is among you. Our identity becomes more than us as individuals, right? We find the community of God in people around us, even in those we disagree with. I felt like at one point that sword Jesus was talking about was COVID. <laughs> How many families were split? Or any other big topic we're talking about. But I don't think that's what he really wanted. 
If you, if you take time to read the, the whole, the narrative of scriptures, you're going to see some incredible answers to who am I really, right? Jesus helps us to strip away our false self, but we are given something new, right? We give up our learning, but we're given a, a new learning. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We give up our credentials of the world, and yet we're all called priests and kings. We give up our family, and we're instead given and invited into the family of God. And we're given up our in, we give up our individuality, and we're given the kingdom of God. Who am I really? Any thoughts this morning? Oh, I don't have a mic. Oh, we do have a mic. You guys are awesome. Any thoughts? Oh, Greg's already got a hand up at the back there. Yeah. Would Jesus have had the same uh, message no matter who he was talking to, whether it was, it was the Jews, the Romans, the Sumerians? And if so, why should any of us identify as Christian? Why should Christian be part of our identity? Why should we not just go out and live uh, through you know, the words of Jesus Christ with, without identifying as Christian. It's mm, good. You know why? Because we love labels. We love labels. And we love being in the list. Um, why should we? I don't know. I mean, the word isn't in the Bible necessarily, so we label ourselves with something, right? Um, yeah, that's a funny, that's a good question that would take a long time to unpack. So I don't think I have, I can do that today. <laughs> but uh, I think following Jesus itself says more than labeling ourselves as anything. I was just going to respond to why labeling is actually something that is helpful still today is because we have to be responsible as a larger family of those who follow Jesus for those that are causing harm in this world. And so it's easier sometimes just to say, no, I'm not a Christian. And that's okay if that's what you feel more comfortable doing. But there's the reality that there are also those who call themselves Christians. And if we just give that kind of term terminology over to them to use, it creates a bad feedback in the world because Christians are supposed to be known for their love. And if that's not what we're primarily known for, I think there's some internal like work we have to do as a broader family of those who are trying to follow Jesus. When I think when when I think of this question, I'm pulled in two ways. One, the math side of me, I get asked a thousand times, "What does it mean to be blank?" And it's a definition with these three things. And I say those three things, and then people ask, "What does that really mean?" And it's like, well means those three things like that's how it's defined and I think when I view something like Christians it's part of it is that definition of well that's we have defined it this way that's what it means um, but then the other part of me is the power of symbols and the symbolic nature that is used within society and I I think that the to go back to your question like why do we have to use it well we we if we fall under that definition we have to recognize that we fall under that definition but we also need to recognize the societal implications of that definition and um we can't just because it feels nice 
say, no, I don't fall under that. We have to, um, we don't necessarily get to choose how other people define us and the um, reactions they have to those definitions. But um, we have to recognize that there's symbolic power, good or bad, behind them. It's interesting, the labeling. You know that before the fall, our whole job was to label the animals. That was our job, right? And I don't think it happened overnight. How many, how many species? Like that's that. But at the fall, we no longer labeled, we judged. So I think there's like, we're in a, in a spot where it's all messy and we live in that tension. So labeling and, and judging become problematic because we have a confused idea of the knowledge of good and evil. So we have to hold those things lightly. That's why I was hesitant to say that labeling is like that, taking the label of Christian is good. It's a way to be identified, that's okay. But I wanna be identified in the things that I do, by the things that I do and who I follow more than by a label. So let me just pray and you guys can continue that conversation because it's a big one. God, thank you so much for this day. I do thank you that you have called us to be um, not the things that we think of ourselves, but the identity that you've given us. And when you created, you said it was good. Thank you for making us good. <laughs>